Thursday service. It was um, just a beautifully, beautifully intimate service, and, and um, just a joy to watch one another, watch everyone do the one another, just serve and worship and pray, and it was just a wonderful evening. Last night we had the Passion of the Christ presented here, the film, and uh, powerful. Just I had never seen it. I've actually owned it from the time it came out, and it still has a cellophane on it. Um, and I just, I had never watched it. For whatever reason, it just stayed right there on the shelf. And last night, just to, I actually stood in the back of the balcony and watched, and it was just, it moved me deeply. And it, that combined with a couple other things completely changed the message for the day. <clears throat> um, I had been pre- preparing something since m- Monday in terms of what I wanted to do. And two things changed my mind um, and my heart. One was watching this film last night and just, um, crying a lot and being beautifully just reminded of the beautiful expression of Jesus' desire to be with to be present and then this afternoon I get to spend a little bit of time with a friend and we talked about the, the, the gift of being present and being present with one another being the I love you I want us, and that's where I really want to dwell. That being present with one another, being truly present, not with one another, that's different. I can be with you and not be present. I can eat a meal with you and not be present. I can sit next to you and not be present. It's another thing altogether to be present. And I really wonder if God's I love you with us, toward us, if our love you to him is we obey, and the result of our obedience is that he would dwell in us, then his I love you to us is his presence, his attention, his affection, his engagement, his listening ear, his heart that beats with ours, his desire to know us. And that's what I want to focus on because to me that's what Jesus did. So I want, you're going to need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. There's one in the pew in front of you. Please grab that and open it up. Um, you're going to want to follow. We're going to look at a lot of scripture Essentially, what we're going to do is we're just going to do a survey of the scriptures, and we're going to see what comes out. But you, I want you to open to Genesis. And this is a surprise verse for me. I wasn't expecting this one until during worship. But God asked me to go back a little further to when he decided he would talk about this idea of being present. Um, I'm going to pray before we read. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray, Jesus, that you would just, again, reveal your heart for us to us, um, that we would not only know you, Lord God, but know you, know the one who wants to know us and be present with us and to know us and love us and be loved back. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Actually, turn to Genesis 2, if you would. It's, I, I, you know, I, there's just so much stuff. Um, we'll see. We'll probably be out of here about, if you're, this is your first time in Mosaic, by the way, welcome. I'm Tony, one of the guys. We'll be here about, till about 11, so we'll be good. All right, so um, go to, uh, go to verse, um, go to verse eight of chapter two of Genesis. This is gonna be a little bit of old school Mosaic. We're just gonna, just roll the scriptures out. I think, here we go. Verse eight, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he, there he did what? There he put the man that he had formed. Now how did he form the man? 
It's, he spoke everything into existence, and then it says that he formed and shaped the, the living beings. And then with the man in particular, what he'd done was he had gathered the dust. He had placed his hands in the dust. He had touched the dust. It's interesting that nothing else got this kind of attention from God. But man did. It says that he gathered the dust and he formed and shaped the body of Adam. And as he lay there, I, you, you know, some of you have heard me use this expression. I, I let my imagination go a little bit because I believe, and this is what I would ask you to do. If you've not been here before, I'm going to encourage you. We're a bunch of artists at Mosaic. And one of the things we love to do is paint pictures and use our imagination. And so one of the things we talk about is redeeming our imagination and using it for what God gave it to us, you know, for which he gave it, the reason for which he gave it to us, which was to imagine him. To imagine the kingdom, to imagine his work. So this is, we're in Genesis and God has created, he says he spoke things into the light and darkness and then he created the earth and all these things were made and they were, they were just, they were stated and they came out of nothing. They came out of the very mind's eye of God, his imagination. God is the one who has instituted these things and now the dust of the earth is, is there and he forms it and he shapes it in the likeness of Adam. And I wonder sometimes, you know, Jesus, it says he performed a miracle and the miracle that he performed was that there was a blind man and he said he spit in the ground, he spit in the dirt. And he made a paste with it. And then he put that paste, that mud, on the eyes of the blind. You know what I wonder sometimes? You ever try to gather dust? You ever just try to cake dust together? Does it do very well? No, you've got to have a catalyst. You have to have something that will cause it. I wonder if God spit in the dust. Because no rain had fallen yet. I don't know. I just wonder. It says that he gathered the dust and he sculpted the very body of Adam. And I can imagine the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit standing there together, waiting for this moment. And the Father looked at Jesus and said, are you ready for this? And the reason he said, are you ready for this, is because it says in Ephesians that before, before anything was formed, God knew what his plan would be. Jesus had already agreed to do what he would do. And so I can imagine as Adam is formed and, 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 and this beautiful image of God is laying on the ground. The God, the Father, looked at Jesus and said, are you ready for this? Because the moment I breathe into him, the scars will begin to form on your hands and your feet. Amen. And I can imagine Jesus nodding with a half of a smile and the tears welling up and it says that God breathed life into Adam. So if we go to chapter two, verse eight. So now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man that he had made. All of creation he spoke into existence, but the man he formed with his own hands. All of creation would, would, would have the, the life of God in it, but man would have the very breath of God. The very image of God. And God and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of Good and evil. Go down to verse 15, if you would. It says, so the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat. This is the first I love you from man to God. 
God says you can, for the I love you from God to man was his mere existence, that he gets to share this space with the glorious king, that he now holds the very, but he's the container that holds the very life of God and light of God and the breath of God. He gets to carry the image of God. He gets to work this beautiful place called Eden. And the one I love you God asks back from the man is this. I have this tree in the middle of the garden and that is mine. I'm going to ask you not to touch it. You can eat from the tree of life and live, but this tree here is mine, don't touch. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, eat of it, you will surely die. Please don't touch it. Well, actually, he didn't say that. He said, please don't eat from it. Didn't say don't touch it. That was a mistake later made. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be a what? It is not good for man to be alone. See, this is the beginning of God's desire for presence. That first of all, God would desire mankind at all is just astounding. And this is an act of love, and it's an act of love in this regard that the Father, the, the glorious God, would know his glory is so astounding and that his presence is so sweet that he would create something just to enjoy it. Isn't that beautiful? That God himself, knowing how sweet it would be to know him, created something just for the purpose of experiencing that sweetness, that presence, that relationship. But God did not want us to just have this relationship vertically with him. He also wanted to create around us those who would be like us. That we would have this incredible relationship with those we, have, we could have suitable relationships, adequate relationships with. Relationships that we could share affection the way the Trinity shares affection. The Father who loves the Son and the Son who loves the Spirit and the Spirit who loves the Father. The Son who glorifies the Father and the Father who glorifies the Son, the Holy Spirit who glorifies them both. Each submitting to the other. And so he would create man and he would put man in the garden. He would look at man and he'd say, it's not good for man to be alone. Well, here's the interesting thing about it. He wasn't alone. He was with God. So why would God say he's alone? Because he wanted this for us. He wanted this us. Not merely presence with him, but presence with one another. That we would then have this all together. The Lord God said, it is not good for man, man to be alone. I'll make a suitable helper for him. The word suitable meaning equal and adequate. Now the Lord God had formed out of the garden, out of the ground all the beasts of the field and, and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature was, that was its name. And so the, so the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds and the beasts of the field. But for Adam no suitable helper was found and so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of Ad, the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. And Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man and the man said, now, all those other four-legged creatures and winged creatures and all those other things, they were fine. But this, this is beautiful. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This was made for me. This is made for me. We were made for one another. Oh. 
What a delight this must have been. What, how crazy this moment must have been for Adam, who had never had anyone like him before. The Father had the Son, the Son the Holy Spirit. The animals had one another, but the man had no one. Let me ask us this. How committed is God to our having relationships that are present, that are suitable, that are loving and sharing? How how glorious this wisdom. And he gave them to each other. And Adam, as he laid it, and I'm sure Eve was like, what? Maybe, I don't know. Verse 24, for this reason a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Beautifully present. And the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I'm gonna do something here. I'm gonna skip the next part. I'm just gonna paraphrase it. Adam and Eve are together and they decide for whatever reason that whatever instructions God had given them in the present relationship that they had was, for whatever reason, inadequate. And they went and they ate from the tree that God had asked them not to eat from. And in doing so, sin came into the world and it broke the relationship. Adam and Eve had been present with God and God present with them and they present with one another. And now sin had ended in the world and something happened. Go to chapter 3. And verse 6. Well, see, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom and knowledge, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they did what? What's it say? They hid themselves. They hid themselves. I don't know if there was a clap of thunder that went through the entire universe. But I can only imagine that this, at this moment as God calls out to Adam and Eve this wonderful relationship that had been so beautifully present for, from to the time of its inception, for the first time, they hid. For the first time, they were separate. For the first time, they chose to not be present. And all of creation would be changed. And the relationship between God and man would be changed. And the relationship between man and man would be changed. And there would be brokenness. And there would be dysfunction. And there would be hurt and pain and sorrow and death. They were separated. They were separated. No longer present. So he calls out to Adam, where are you? We're hiding. Why are you hiding? Well, we hid because we were naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Well, this woman you gave me. 
This is her fault and your fault. I was innocent. We'll read it later. <laughs> We're going to study this one when we come back in a couple of weeks. What is my point this evening so far? There's been a brokenness that has entered the present. The presence of God and man separating us and keeping us from one another. Well, remember, I go back to the beginning of the story and I imagine as, uh, I imagine as the father and the son were standing there and they created Adam and the father looked at Jesus and said, are you ready for me to do this? Because the moment it happens, the moment the spirit enters into this man, the scars will form. Well, what does that mean? It means the father, the father knowing what was, going to be, what was going to transpire, had already had a plan in motion. The plan in motion was to recognize that this separation, there was nothing that we could do about it. There was nothing we could do to reconcile with God. There were no works that we could do to make ourselves good enough or righteous enough or holy enough or anything of the sort. It was going to be then necessary for somebody to intervene, for somebody to make up the, to, you know, to, to make up the difference. And that somebody would be Jesus, and God knew that before the creation of the world. And did it, listen, did it anyway. How vast and deep and rich is the love of God that he, knowing what would transpire, would offer a son even before it would occur. Knowing that what he desired more than anything was our presence and for us to enjoy his presence. And when that would be broken, that he would be willing to offer his son on our behalf to what? To reconcile and bring us back into his presence. This is the incredible heart of our Father who desires a real life, gritty, authentic, deep, rich, and chosen relationship with, with his loved ones and therefore was willing to put it all at risk. Oh. But what would he do? Turn to the Gospel of John, if you would. John chapter one. And we're just, now we're, we're just gonna, we're just gonna like machine gun this thing through. Here we go, you ready? So John chapter one. We're just gonna look at, well, I don't know what we're just gonna look at, but you go to John chapter one. We'll start at verse one. So John is the fourth gospel. So if you, moving forward, you get to Matthew or Mark, you need to keep going forward through Luke to John. If you got to Acts, you went too far, go back. Take your time, I want you there. We're not in a hurry. We got to 11, we're grinning. Dessert's on you. Bing bong. Okay, so here we go, you ready? So watch this. Verse one, I can't do it. I was just gonna do 14, can't do it. We gotta go to the whole thing. It says, in the beginning, now we just read that. We didn't actually read it, but Genesis one says, in the beginning, John one says, in the beginning, it was the word, and the word, notice if you're reading the Bible, if you're reading in your word, it has, it's a capital W, and the reason is it's, it's a proper noun. It's a name of a person and a thing. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is the conversation that Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit were having as they formed Adam in the dust. Through him, through this Word, all things were made, and through, without him, the Word, nothing was made that has been made. And in him, the Word was life. And that life was the light of men, and that is the breath of life. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus, the creator, the one who not only is the, the, the instrument of creation, 
But the purpose of creation, the reason for creation, the one that holds all things together, he would now come into this world. This light would shine in the world and we would not get it. Verse six, there came a man who was sent from, John and his, from God and his name was John and he would prepare the way for this light to come. Verse 10, this true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Verse 10, he says, he was in the world, the word. And though the world was made through him, the word, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, the Jews, but his own would not receive him. Yet to all who would receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To be what? To be reconnected, to be restored, to be reconciled, to, be, to be, enable them to be, listen, to be present. Look what it goes on to say. He, the word, was in the world. No, the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own would not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, his will, his purpose, his decision, his calling, his choosing. Look at verse 14 now. And the word became what? Flesh. The word became flesh, and what did he do? He dwelled, he made his home among us. He made, ow, golly, listen. You know what he wanted? He wanted to be present. He wanted to be present. He wanted our hearts to beat in rhythm. He wanted our skin to touch. He wanted to be, he, this is the creator of the universe. This is the very light and life of men. And he would drape our flesh upon himself and he would walk among us for the mere purpose of presence. A foreshadowing of what would come in eternity. Yeah, I'm gonna, Mark, can I embarrass you for a second? Come over here, Mark. This is my friend, Mark. Everybody say hi, Mark. I have the privilege of sit, Mark. Yeah. Well, sit, Mark, sit. Okay, so I have the privilege of, of doing ministry with Mark. Um, you know, Mark's one of our directors, and I, just, I, I have just come to adore him more and more as I've known him over the years. And during worship, I had the great privilege of sitting next to him and during the announcements. And I want to show you how I sat, if I may. Lean into me. This is how I sat with him. And as I sat with him this way, and we've never sat this way before, by the way. As I sat with him this way, my first thought was, I hope he doesn't feel this is awkward. <laughs> but you know what my next thought was? My heart just warmed. It just warmed, and I thought, this is my brother, and this is my friend, and this is my ministry partner. And oh, I like being present with him. And I just relaxed. See, I think this is what Jesus wants. I think the reason he was willing to put flesh on was so that he could experience this with us and we could experience it with him. And he would teach us how to experience it with one another. Amen? Amen. All right. Thank you, Mark. 
So look what it says in verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only who came from the Father full of what? Full of grace and full of truth. And he came to dwell among us. He put our flesh on. Turn back to the Gospel of Matthew, if you would. Chapter one. Matthew chapter one. We're gonna be looking at verse uh, 23. How would he come? This simply. Verse 23 says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And that son will be wearing our flesh and will make his dwelling among us. And that son would walk among us and be present with us. That son. Turn to Hebrews chapter one. I hope you don't mind this evening. We're just gonna honor Jesus. Is that okay? Learn to be present with him. Verse one, it says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various places. See, the prophets, even the law had pointed to the idea of this Jesus coming, the creator becoming man, that he would walk among us and in walking among us, he would reveal the father to us. And it was predicted by many over a couple thousand years that this Jesus would be who he would be and do what he would do. So that's why it says at the beginning, it says in the past he spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, in this time, at just the right time, he has spoken to us by his son. Not merely of his son, about his son, toward his son, but by his son. That his son would not only be the, 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 the culmination of all the prophecies and everything that would come to be, but he was the very existence of the word and the very mouthpiece of God. So in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir over all things, and through him he made the universe... The sun now is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And he came to dwell among us, and he came to dwell among us so that we could not only relate to Jesus, but also to the Father. And that's why it's so important that we see that, he was, that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son and today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, 
will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Verse 10, he goes on to say, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. We saw that in Genesis. We saw that in John. We see it again. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, but you, they, you will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but, the, but, the, but you remain the same. And, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation, sent to serve the children of God? Why am I reading this portion of it? Because I want, us, I want us to see something here. As we put these pieces together, what I want us to recognize is this is the glorious king and the creator of the universe. This is the one who will last forever. He has always been and will always be. And there is nothing that will diminish his glory. And his, and his, and his, his reign will never end. This is Jesus. The one who would be the, the, the instrument of creation. He would be the one that would hold all things together. He would be the one in whose image we have been made. He would be the one who would give his life for the, for the ransom of many. Us, for the forgiveness of our sins. This same one is the one who would dwell among us. This same one is the one who would put, our, put flesh on. This is the same one who would taste mortality. This is the same one, listen, who would become sin on our behalf. This holy God would become sin for me. Go to chapter two of Hebrews, if you would. Verse 10. Because all of a sudden, God, it's like he just changes gears. Look at verse 10. It says, in bringing many sons to glory, and Jesus having died and rose again, and now bringing his children, bringing his brothers and sisters with him, anyone who would become children of God by professing belief in Christ Jesus. In, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through what? Through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same what? Of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us what? Brothers and sisters. Why? Because he's present. He wants us present. He wants to be present. And everything he has done and everything he will do is for the purpose of presence that we would be together. And this was worth his sacrifice. Look what it goes on to say. In bringing many sons of glory, it's fitting that God, for whom, the, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are <clears throat> of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children, God, you have given me. Look at verse 14. And since the children have what? What's it say? Flesh and blood. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, those of us who are children 
of God, for children of faith. This, for this reason, he, he, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful priest in service to God and that he might make atonement. He might pay for the sins of the people receiving the punishment. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is now able to do what? To help those who are tempted. He is present. And he makes his presence known not just by his glory, but by his flesh and his life and his suffering and that he would join us in it, that we would know one another intimately. This is what Jesus has done. This is what makes, well, there are many things that make him great, but this is what enables us to know. Go, to, go back to the Gospel of Luke, if you would. How much did Jesus, what did you, how much did Jesus want to be together? I want to look at the very life of Jesus. Just 20, verse 22, uh, Luke twenty-two fifteen, if you would. Luke twenty-two, fifteen. We're going to look at one verse that makes the point. You ready? And Jesus said to them, I have what? I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with whom? With you. I want to stop there for a minute. He says to his friends three days before he would die, I've eagerly waited to have this meal with you. I have wanted this time. I've wanted to be present with you. I've wanted to have this moment. This is a foreshadowing of what the kingdom of heaven will be like. That this meal is a precursor to the meal we will have with him in heaven. Because the beauty about this is what Jesus has done in redeeming us, has given us eternal life, and then eternal life will be in the kingdom. And in that kingdom, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna eat a meal that he's eagerly waiting to eat with us. But the ending will be a little different this time. Because there will, not, there will be no ending. And the food will be really good. Turn to John chapter 20, if you would. We're going to race through these two chapters. Watch this. What I want us to see now, this is Jesus. Now he's just died. He died on a cross. He died alone. He was buried alone. Three days he lied in the, he laid in the grave. And then it says that his father raised him from the dead. And in raising him from the dead, you would think Jesus would be pretty eager to go see dad. But you know what he does? He doesn't go to see dad yet. You know what he does instead? He goes to be present with his friends. Isn't this crazy? Instead of going right to see his dad who he hasn't seen in a little while, he wants to see the guys he just left. I love this. Look what it says. 
Watch, look at chapter 20. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been moved away from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and, they have, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other discile started for the tomb, and both were running, and the other disciple ran, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, the, looked in the tomb at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth, the cloth that Jesus had, had around his head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went inside, and he saw and believed. Verse 10. It says, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying, And as she wept, as she bitterly wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, and at the head, and at the the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, they have taken my Lord, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw what? Saw who? Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. I love this. I love it. Because I don't know if Jesus was playing a joke. I don't thought maybe this was funny. Or if his, his, even in his glorious presence, it was just, he was just, she mistakes him for the gardener. Look at this. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize who it was. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, what? Mary, I know you. You know me. I'm present. Be present. Isn't that beautiful? He was just raised from the dead for crying out loud. He just saved the world. He had just become sin and taken the punishment of mankind. He had just suffered the wrath of his father and been separated from him for for whatever moment that was. And now his father punches through the atmosphere and raises him up and puts breath back in his being and his spirit is alive. And he turns around and the first person he wants to see isn't his father and it's not the Holy Spirit. It's Mary. It's Mary. It's Mary. And the story goes like this over and over. Two men on their way to Emmaus, seven men fishing, the disciples trembling. Over and over, Jesus made his presence known. Why? Because that's why he died. It's why he came, it's why he lived, it's why he's died, it's why he rose again, it's why he's coming back, it's what we have to look forward to, is the very presence of God and his desiring our presence with him. Boom! Right? I would drop my mic, but it's like like a feather. It would go like this, it would go It would be totally anticlimactic. Is this crazy? Or is this beautiful? Or is it crazy beautiful? This is the reality. 
This is our faith in the everyday. That God's greatest desire is that we would be present with him and then, listen, present with one another. In John 17, he says, listen, I, I just so badly, well, we may as well just go read it. We got to 11. Go ahead. Go to John chapter 17, if you would. I lied to you. Go to John 16 first. <clears throat> because I want us to see something here. In John 21, he, he's, he's risen from the dead and he's visiting with his friends and he's present with all of them. And he's, oh, it, says, it says later in the Gospels, or in the, in the in New Testament, that 500 people got to be present with the risen Christ. Before he ever went back into his glory, man, he's hanging out with 500 different people and being seen and eating and talking and fishing. He liked to fish or at least watch guys fish or sleep in the boat while they fished. Anyway, but he fished, okay. And he was better than the fishermen. But he had told them something prior to going. Look at verses, this is chapter 16 of John. I'm in the wrong book. We're gonna start at verse six. And he was warning his followers, he was warning his friends. He would listen to me, he was warning those with whom he was present. See, Jesus came as God, but he was in the flesh. And because he was in the flesh, he could only be in one place at one time, present with those with whom he was present, and only present with those he could be present. You know how, de- listen, wrap your head around this one. You know how desperately God wants to be present with each of us, and not just one of us at a time, but one of us at a time, all at the same time? Jesus had to say to his disciples, I gotta leave you. I'm, I'm gonna be leaving. You know what he said? I know you're sad I'm saying this. I know you're sad because you don't want me to go. I get, I get it. But let me say something to you. See, unless I go, I can't send the comforter. I can't send the Holy Spirit. And you'll be better off with the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna tell you why you're gonna be better off with the Holy Spirit because I can only be with one of you at a time but I want to be present with you even more profoundly than that. I want you to be present with me more profoundly than that. I want us to be, listen, I want us to be present. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go home to my father, I'm going to send the spirit back, and we're going to be present together, all of us at the same time. Because he can do that and I can't. And I miss you, and I hate that you're sad, and I frankly don't really want to die, but I know I need to die. But in order for us to truly be present, I need to go. Because you're going to learn that sometimes the greatest presence is when we don't seem to be, but are. Look at this. Sixteen, eight, sixteen, six. You ready? Here we go. says, now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me where you're going because I have said these things. You are filled with what? Grief and sorrow. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. See, unless I go away, the counselor, the advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He will fill you. You'll be connected to me. You'll be connected to the Father. You will, be the, you will exemplify me. You'll be me in this world. Go 
Go to Luke chapter 23. For time's sake, I'm skipping a couple passages, but I'll see if I might be able to list them on our Facebook page so that you have them. But there are two passages I want to finish with in regard to our hope. Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. This is when I got knocked out of my seat last night watching the Passion of the Christ. Jesus is hanging on a cross. They've beaten him. You know, uh, the director of the Passion uh, went to great lengths to recreate the suffering of Jesus in such a way as to be literally overwhelming, just overwhelming. And so he's been, everything you read about in the scriptures, you watch happen to this man. And at this point, he is hanging on the cross and he's wheezing and the blood is dripping from him and his eyes are swollen shut and he's got the nails in his hands and feet and the scourging of his entire body, the thorns in his head. And I, I watched this last night. I thought, oh my God, here he is. He's crying out and he can hardly breathe. And he's got one thief on one side cursing him and the other side, he has a thief that says this. Verse 39 says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself in us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and turned him in the, in the midst of his own grief and suffering and separation from his father and he says, I tell you the truth, today you will be what? With me in paradise. You will be present with me. You'll be present with me in paradise today. Today. The very purpose of his coming encapsulated in that tiny interaction during suffering, we cannot begin to imagine. And he had the wherewithal and the heart and the mind and the affection and the desire for presence to say today, today you'll be with me in paradise, today. Isn't that glorious? And that's what he speaks to each of our hearts. That is what we have to look forward to, that is our hope. that if we have this relationship with God and Christ and we have placed our faith in him, we have this hope that today we will be with him in paradise. And this is what it looks like. Go to Revelation 21. And this is even crazier. You know what I'm gonna ask you to do, if you, may, if you would please, please stand while we read this, because this is nuts. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be present. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Amen? Can we sing one more song? Can we do that? Let me pray. Band and choir, if you'd get in place. Father God, we come before you, and it is overwhelming to know that you, the creator God, the holy king, the righteous one, would desire with such passion and such ferocity and such fury our presence that you, Jesus, before the breath had ever entered into Adam, you agreed, you said the amen, you looked forward to the reconciliation before the brokenness had ever occurred. And you now prepare a place for us. You became sin for us that we not, might now be the expression of your righteousness. We look forward to the hope to come in you and a kingdom that you're preparing. Not merely to see the grandeur of this kingdom, but more than that, please, the presence of your person and basking in your glory and enjoying the fellowship. Father, help us to just even get a glimpse of such a thing. May our hearts beat within us and may our imaginations fly to you. And may we be present as you are present. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.